Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, folks. I hope everyone is having a phenomenal Friday. I can tell you down here uh, on the island, it is completely different than it was yesterday. Yesterday, it was just beautiful, not a cloud in the sky. Today, it is still beautiful, but it is raining, and uh, it is amazing. We are starting a new series called Resolve, 13 Resolutions for Life. This is written by New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and U.S. Today best-selling author, Orrin Woodward. Uh, Orrin and I have started uh, really building a relationship, I'd say, over the last couple of years. Uh, it's just lately really, I think, mushroomed into uh, really into a, a budding friendship, more than just business associates uh, being in the same industry. I've been blessed. He sent me every book that he and his business partner, Chris Brady, have written. I was on the phone yesterday with Corey Citron, co-founder of Yoli and chief marketing officer, and we were talking about the passion that these two have and how fun they are in what they do. And I've got to tell you, this, as I read it, several things come to mind. Number one is the number 13. You know, usually somebody with with a, a, a Christian background, they, they – sometimes tend to stay away from the number 13, you know, ooh, it's bad luck. I love the fact that Oren does not adhere to that common philosophy. Uh, and what he wrote in here was amazing. We're going to be covering all 13, and I, w- I wanna, I'm just going to give you a quick highlight of, of each of the 13 so you get a feel for it. Number one is purpose. Uh, we're going to be covering character, attitude, uh, programming the Elephant, I thought that was an interesting chapter when I read it. Uh, game Plan and Do, uh, Keeping Score, Friendship, Financial Management, Leadership Resolution, Conflict Resolution, Systems Thinking, uh, and Adversity, Quadrant, and Legacy. Uh, it's interesting, as I read through here, he gives so many different stories. And today I thought, I want to go into the introduction. Sometimes you read the introduction of a book and you think, man, there's nothing here. But I thought, this is Friday. This is the first day that we're doing this. And I thought this is just, I, I love history and I love the way he inter, interjected in this. And here's what he did. He, he started out with the story of our founding fathers. He said, in the early 18th century, three young colonial Americans resolved to build lives of virtue through the study and application of daily resolutions. Each made his life count, creating a legacy of selfless thoughts words of, and words of deeds. The first, through tireless, sacrificial leadership against an indescribable odds, defeated the mighty British Empire with his ragtag group of colonial volunteers. The second, through his growing international fame, sterling character, and endless tact, became America's leading diplomat forming international alliances that secured war funding without which the colonial cause was doomed. The third, by overwhelming intellectual and spiritual gifts, became colonial, or, uh, colonial America's greatest minister, who by his preaching and writing fanned the flames of the Great Awakening, a spiritual renewal in colonial America. That led to further political and economic freedoms after the American Revolution. These men are George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Jonathan Edwards. They transformed themselves through the diligent study and application of their resolutions, creating an enduring legacy. 
I, I thought that was good because I've been doing this myself, only I do it a little different. And, and, and I've shared with you in the past, but I'm going to do it again. See, I believe each day it's about five major decisions. Number one is relationships. And each day I ask myself at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, have I deepened my relationships with God, with my wife, and with my kids? My second is my character. Have I developed my character today and how? The third is my attitude. Have I chosen the right attitude in spite of what's happened to me and how? Number four is my values. Have I lived out my values before others today? And number five is my growth. Have I done things that have increased my potential? I narrowed mine down, but as I read through these 13 resolutions that Orrin has in this book, I realized, man, I've, I've covered all 13. I just have them different. So as you're listening and as we're going through, and I, and I, I challenge you to go buy this. It's at Amazon. Uh, you can buy it there. Beautiful book. It's not on Kindle yet, I don't think. Everything else they've done is on Kindle. This one's not. But this is a book I think that you can you can grow from because Orrin uses many stories of great leaders, men and women alike. He says, George Washington developed into a man of character whose love of principle surpassed his love of power. Ben Franklin developed into a man of tact whose desire for influence surpassed his need for recognition. I thought that was pretty powerful. And Jonathan Edwards developed into a spiritual giant whose humility surpassed his need for human advancement or self-advancement. See, when I read this, I thought, man, this is very interesting that that if we would just take time to slow down and study the lives of some of the great leaders that have gone past us, we could learn a lot of things. See, I think sometimes we fall victim to today's microwave thinking. We We constantly are trying to shortcut everything and make it happen. Orrin writes this. He says, everyone wants success, but most settle for planning personality ethics. Tomatoes, when true success requires nurturing a character ethic, an oak tree. And I got to thinking about that, man. That, that, you know, he uses some, some strange word pictures. It goes with his, his unique personality, I think. But so many times we look at personality versus character. We look at the inspiration versus the foundation of an individual. Sometimes just based on the book Credibility that we just finished, I think that leaders fall prey sometimes to their own egos. And the three men that Orrin's looking at here, we realize they kept their ego intact. There's no way that you can be a Ben Franklin and not have an ego. There's no way you can be a a George Washington, and not have an ego. Even even Jonathan Edwards, there's no way that you can't have an ego. It's a matter of keeping that ego in check. I always use a, an acronym for ego, edging God out. And I, and I believe that when you're a man or woman of character, you're going to have a, a, a spiritual foundation as well as a, a psychological or intelligence foundation. And you've got to dig deep to make sure that your principles are grounded and that's what this book is going to be about. Orrin writes, The best way to become such a person is to build trust with others. 
is by well, let me let me redo that. The best way to become such a person is to build trust with others by building trust in oneself. Following through on one's own deeply held principles through the use of his resolutions thereby is the path to build personal and public trust. And I and I agree with that. See, if you're not true to yourself, if you're not true to your principles, I had a situation come up. I had a client yesterday write me an email and want to change their agreement before they they they've really even paid. They were they were supposed to pay on the fifteenth, and they've held off paying. And now, while they're four or five days late, they they say, well, we would like to change a clause in the agreement, and the time for changing agreements is before you sign on the dotted line. And as I was sharing this with my business partner. I said, you know, no matter whether they pay or not, I will fulfill my end of the agreement. And and it frustrated her, to be quite honest, because she said, well, if they're not paying, why would we do that? And I said, because when I study my Bible, when I study the biblical principles of a covenant, when a covenant is entered into, it doesn't matter if one side breaks it or not. It still holds true. The covenant is still in place until a new covenant is created. And I don't take agreements lightly. Matter of fact, there's nights I stay up deep trying to make sure I fulfill my end of a covenant, which is a word that you don't you don't hear very much. And see, I believe that's how you build that public trust, is that first you've got to look deep into yourself and say, what is it I'm doing? So let's look at some stuff we're going to use throughout this book. Number one is is resolved. What are the definitions? First are the resolutions. Resolutions are written resolves studied on a daily basis that help guide our behaviors while forming our underlying character. If you go to dictionary.com, it has several definitions. One is to come to a definite or earnest decision about determined to do something. In other words, I have resolved that I shall live to be the full whatever. Number two is to deal with a a question, a matter of uncertainty. Conclusively, settle, solve, to resolve the question before the board. Number three, I thought this was interesting, is a music to cause, a voice part of the harmony as a whole, to progress from a I don't know what those words are. I'm not even going to pronounce them. Basically, it's to become a whole, to take individual pieces and and resolve to become the sound, you know, the resounding symbol of the orchestra. And as I got to looking at those definitions, I thought, man, he's he's got something here. See, so many times we go through life and we we put resolutions down half-heartedly, never never going to be following through. We got to dig deep enough to follow through. George Washington to develop character, to build something above and beyond what anybody else could have built. I thought that was pretty good. He writes down here, By nature, the young Washington had a hot, fiery temperature or temper, but he developed an iron-willed discipline in order to check its excesses. I thought, man, that's kind of interesting. Norton Smith, in his book Patriarch, wrote, The adolescent Washington examined Cessna's dialogues and labriciously copied them from a London magazine. 110 rules of civility 
intended to buff a rude country boy into the first draft of a gentleman. I thought that was wild. Here you are. Uh, in today's commonology, probably a redneck, a, a country boy, a, a southern rebel type person, somebody that you look at and say, man, he's got a, probably not even a diamond in the rough. He's probably just one of those river stones and yet became the patriarch of this country and a well-defined gentleman. Richard Brashores wrote in Founding Fathers, his manner and his morals kept his temperament under control. Man, there's so many times I need to keep my temperament under control, it's pathetic. How many of us can say this, though? How many of us will really settle down? You know, we everything's got to be fast. Smartphones, smart TV, smart computers, iPads, iPhones, iPods. Go, go, go. We don't disconnect long enough to study self-development. We talk about it a lot. But even in that, you know what we've done? We've watered it down. Hey, get a DVD and plug it into your radio as you're driving to work. Now, how in the Sam Hill can you study anything driving to work? I mean, I guess if you're in California sitting for two hours in traffic, that works. But for the average person, it isn't setting in traffic. It's wall-to-wall, bumper-to-bumper, going five miles an hour, and if you don't pay attention, you hit somebody. I think you need to kind of do what John Maxwell says to do. You need to find yourself a thinking chair. Matter of fact, I'm trying to get money up to buy myself one. There's this, this beautiful rocking chair at Cracker Barrel. It's got the Marine Corps emblem and the American flag built into the back of it, and Man, I just want one of those so I can just, that's my thinking chair. I've already decided that. I just got to raise the funds to get it. And every time I say that, I get an email from somebody saying, are you that broke? And it's like, no, I got a budget. I live by a budget, and that's just not in the budget yet. Made out of oak, man, it's going to be nice. You got to do that. You got to slow down and get yourself a thinking chair where you can just sit back and analyze things. One of the things that I do on trips is I never go anywhere without having me a book to read, without having my journal beside me, because it gives me time in that airplane to really slow down and focus on what's important. That's what George Washington did. Ben Franklin resolved to develop wisdom. The funny thing is, when he was young, and he was running around with the leading citizens, and he was writing things, they, they, they would tell him he had a self-assumed air of importance. He was argumentative and opinionated. But at 20 years of age, he decided to move in a new direction, launching a self-improvement project called Moral Perfection. 20 years old. We sat here and make fun of the millennials. And I laugh. I'm borderline baby boomer, Generation X, born in 1964. Just barely in 1964. And you want to know something? I started on a self-improvement course at 17 years old, and I have not stopped growing. I look at some of my journals and realize some of the stuff I said was so asinine when I was young. guess that just comes with maturity and age. It's kind of like good moonshine. You let good moonshine set long enough, and we end up calling it aged whiskey. Usually it's southern bourbon. And it's like, that's exactly what happens. I, I, You know, and you may be thinking, gosh, he uses a lot of weird acronyms, weird stories. And it's true, but you know what? I studied spirits a long time ago because I ran a country club. And 
I tell you what, I would sure rather be like aged scotch. A nice, single malt, focused on a foundation, deep, rich in discipline, than some fruity-flavored, trendy cocktail that's here today and gone tomorrow. So I want to know that I'm like Ben Franklin. I want to go on that moral perfection. Ben Franklin went from being self-assumed with an air of importance, argumentative, opinionated, to vowing to speak ill of no man whatsoever, not even in a manner of truth, and to speak all the good I know of everybody. It takes John Maxwell's 101% rule to the highest level. Find 1% that you can agree on and give it 100% of your efforts. I bring up Corey Citron. I use him as an example. I've known Corey since he was really, really young. I've supported him in a different endeavors that he's been on. And, and there were times when I'd shake my head and say, what in the Sam Hill is that kid doing? He was young. He was hot. He was spirited. He was single. Yesterday we were chatting, and him and his beautiful bride just gave birth, a home birth, to their second baby. And he was so ecstatic about what they were doing. And I thought, man, I've watched this kid mature from wild and fiery and crazy to focused with discipline. I'm going to be privileged to be on their conference call tomorrow and talk to their to their team. It's amazing when I see this, and, and as I'm reading this book in this first introduction, I see this. I thought this was great, too. Two of the virtues, and he had 52 of them, but two of them, one was silence. Speak not but what may benefit others or yourself. Void trifling conversation. I thought, man, I love that. Number eight was justice. Wrong none by doing injuries or admitting benefits that that are your duty. One of the things that my youngest boy and I have really focused on, it comes from a a couple of movies that are probably not, not some that you're going to watch be honest they're kind of they're kind of rebelly but they're called the boondock saints one and two and this father and his two sons have this passion for truth and justice and they go on this one-man bandwagon to wipe out all the crime in boston and i and i look at this and i think you know what that's what ben franklin's talking about he's talking about justice wrong no one see it's not about looking at others and being being judgmental it's actually talking about, in, in what I believe, is providing justice through mercy. See, I'm a firm believer. I can do a whole training on this. It's funny because I never use my own trainings on these shows. I want to benefit others by by helping people sell their books is what I want to do. But I truly believe that it's only by by really applying justice through mercy with a humble heart, that you're going to be able to to do what Ben Franklin did. I wear three bands on my arm. One says, love mercy, walk humbly, and act justly. They're to help keep me focused on a daily basis. And that's what Ben Franklin wanted to do. Jonathan Edwards resolved to serve with humility. You know, it's it's a sad story. He was running a 
a church. I, I can honestly say he had the first mega church in the history of America. But it was interesting because through a through a a temper through tempering his character and, and really honing it into steel, it goes back to iron sharpening iron. He was able to make something happen. A. C. McGarrett described Edward's method of resolutions. Here's how he says it. He says, deliberately, he set about tempering his character into steel. Tempering is a process of toughening the metals, just as written resolutions toughen the internal person through study and course corrections. The tempering process takes time, but the internal fortitude and self-mastery gained living one's convictions, not one's preferences, is worthy of any price. Jonathan Edwards had 70 resolutions. Two of his were these. I resolve that I will do whatever I think to be the most to God's glory and to my own good, profit, and pleasure. In the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many Madrids of age hence, resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and the advantage of mankind in general, Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I make, I meet with, how many, and how great, forever. His 31st resolve was never to say anything at all against anybody, but when it's perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honor and of love to mankind, agreeable to the lowest humanity and a sense of my own faults and failings, and agreeable to the golden rule. Often I have said anything against anyone to bring to it and to try strictly by the test of this resolution. That's tough. I've got a training that we do on the golden rule because I believe that's what you need to do in business. And and it's funny, when I bring the golden rule up to people, how I I believe the the only word I can use is how scared they get. Because they don't want to give up their anger, their pain, their frustration. Instead, they'll say, well, we would live by the golden rule, but, well, that kind of negates everything they just said. But those people aren't living by the golden rule, but those people act like this. I call it authentic collaboration. When you work together, you don't have to worry about what he's doing or she's doing. Basically, it all comes down to making sure your mind, your heart, and your will are lined up together. Listen to what Orrin writes here. He says, Without uniting the mind, heart, and the will together, people will not achieve their desired results. For example, many who attend seminars have their heart touched by the message, but don't seem to comprehend mentally or follow through physically, which is the will, on the plan for success. Man, that is so true. How many people go to go to seminars, you get all rocking, motivated, you go home and, yeah, you put the stuff up on a bookshelf and never follow through. That's tough when you see that. It's even tougher when you're an author like Orrin and you and you write this book. Because there's people out there that love Orrin Woodward and there's people that hate him. I mean, all leaders are that way. There's people that love President Obama and there's people that hate him. There's people that love Newt Gingrich and then we know that his ex-wife doesn't. I mean, this just goes on and on and on. doesn't matter who it is. People love John, Ron Paul. People don't like him. But to to put it in writing, to put your heart, he says, I try to live by these 13 resolutions. 
Orn writes, throughout my life I have studied the greatest men and women from history. Learning from their examples, I develop and apply 13 resolutions into my life to move from purpose to to move from propose detected to full, to vision fulfilled. Purpose detected to vision. Let me reread that. Throughout my life, I have studied the greatest men and women from history. Learning from their examples, I develop and apply 13 resolutions into my life to move from purpose detected to vision fulfilled. Now, that, that right there, purpose detected to vision fulfilled, this is where all of us fall short most of the time. We work hard to fulfill the purpose that we have in our heart, something that, that most times God, God put there, if you, if you walk a, a, a Christian worldview and, and in others, it's just something you, you have in your heart. You don't know why it's there, but it's there, and that's cool. I don't have a problem with that. But it amazes me because at the end of the day, when you fall short of your desired purpose, when you've made it clear this is my purpose and you fall short, there are people that will take pot shots at you, and here's what happens. Aha, I knew you were faking it. I knew you couldn't live up to it. I knew you weren't that kind of a person. Now, in some cases, that's true. Don't get me wrong here. But in a lot of cases, it's because the people pointing the fingers still have that two before in their eye while they're trying to pluck that splinter out of yours. And it's easier for them to be able to point it at you so they don't have to look at themselves. Does that mean that we don't need to be responsible and, and to stand up when we make mistakes as leaders? No, we just learned that in the book Credibility. But it's interesting that we do fall short. Orrin goes on and he writes this, For those who believe in their life mission, then, the resolutions are the how. The purpose is the why, and the vision is the what. When a person knows why he is living, what he's supposed to do, and how he plans to achieve his purpose, his date with destiny is set. In other words, the vision is tomorrow's reality expressed in the day's idea. And I thought, man, that is, that is, that is so true. And he gives a, a, an analogy, a word picture. He says it, it's like climbing a ladder. It's climbing the resolution ladder of success. It's not easy, but when a person knows why they've started, what they desire to accomplish, and how they plan to get there, then their personal preferences pale in comparison to the fulfillment of their destiny. And as he put the ladder together, he breaks it down, and this is what we're going to be going through, because he breaks the resolutions down. There's four personal achievements that are private you've got to resolve to discover in 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 orange case his god-given purpose i believe the same thing you've got to resolve to choose character over reputation anytime they conflict totally agree with that one you've got to resolve to have an attitude of gratitude always you better be thankful for what god has given you the fourth private resolution is a resolve to align your conscience and your subconscious mind towards the vision. And that's hard because you, you got all this baggage you carry. We learned this in Time Out with Tom Hopp. You know, it gets tough because you're, you're thinking, what if, what if, can I make it, can I make it? And then the public achievements. 
I resolved to develop and implement a game plan in each area of my life. I resolved to keep score of the game of life. I resolved to develop the art and science of friendship. That's huge. We just talked about that. I resolved to develop financial intelligence. Man, that ain't no doubt. I resolved to develop the art and science of leadership, and they are an art and a science. I resolved to develop the art and science of conflict resolution. Man, that's a tough one. I resolved to develop systems thinking. I resolved to develop an adversity quadrant. Quotient, excuse me. I resolved to leave a legacy by, by, filling my, by fulfilling my purpose and vision through living the 13 resolutions. This is pretty powerful when you think about it. In closing, listen to what's written on the, the Westminster Abbey's tomb, a bishop there. It says, When I was young and free and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change so I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it, too, seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled to changing my own family, those closest to me, but alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize, had I only changed myself first, then by example I would have changed my family from their inspiration and encouragement, I would have been able to change and better my country. And who knows, I may have even changed the world. It all starts with us. Monday, be back here on Real Mentors Radio when we cover Resolved. I resolve to discover my God-given purpose. Have a fantastic weekend. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back with us Monday morning on Real Mentors Radio dot com. Bye now.